Sermon text for today is found in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. You can find this passage in the Blue Pew Bible on page 1858. Listen as I read God's word. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, we are now children of God, and what will we has is not known yet. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as all he is. All who have hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who has done what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are, and who is the children of the devil. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Here ends the reading. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. My name is John. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I get to serve as the lead pastor here at Elmwood. As we come to this passage you just heard read, would you join me in a word of prayer? God, we are grateful that you have lavished your love on us and that you have called us sons and daughters. Lord, we pray that as we think about that good news this morning, that you would help us to see and understand what's in this passage, that you would help us to mine something of the depths of the beauty of what's here. And we pray that you would change us from the inside out and that you would cause us to leave here changed people. It says in Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure that you've noticed that in our cultural environment, there is a lot of talk about identity. Uh, identity this and identity that and everything from identity politics to identity theft to gender identity. Uh, there's lots of identity speak that's sort of out there in our sort of cultural moment. What we all have in common, whether we are followers of Jesus or not, what we all have in common is that God has designed us as creatures of identity. And what that means is that we were made to know who we are. And we were made to have lives that are lived in alignment with what is true about who we are. And so uh, the pursuit of identity and all the sort of emphasis on identity that's out there sort of in the world today uh, is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it actually reveals something about how God has designed us. Now, of course, we would say that some of the expressions of that are some of the, you know, we we can't go there in a lot of ways with some of our friends who are not followers of Jesus. 
Um, the ways that they approach identity, we would say, are uh, distorted or not in line with how God designed them. Uh, but nonetheless, we're all on the same page that we are creatures of identity. So we all have that in common. Where we as followers of Jesus have to part ways from sort of just culture broadly is in seeing and knowing the source of our identity. So there's two stories that we are continually being invited into. One of them, the story that, is, uh, that we're invited into by the culture sort of broadly, is, is this. Uh, look deeply within yourself, find your true authentic self, and then live in line with that, right? Live your truth. That's one story. We believe, as followers of Jesus, that the Bible invites us into a better story than that. The story that goes like this. Look to what God has done for you already in Jesus. See the identity that God has given you because of what Jesus has done. And then live every moment of your life in the knowledge and in the reality of that identity that God has already given you because of what he's done for us in Jesus. So one story invites us to generate an identity and one story invites us to receive an identity. And those are completely different things. If you haven't figured it out by now, uh, this morning we are beginning a new series thinking about the subject of our identity in Christ. And that's a pretty vague subject, right, to talk about who we are in Christ. But what we're setting out to do is uh, sort of condense it and distill it down into these three, you could call them core identities. We are sons and daughters. We are brothers and sisters. We are neighbors and witnesses. Those aren't just things that we do, although there's an aspect of that. That is who we are. If we are in Christ, we are sons and daughters of God. We are brothers and sisters of one another brought into a new family, and we are neighbors and witnesses who are commissioned and sent out to share the good news about who Jesus is and what he has done. And so over these next six weeks, we're going to be spending some time thinking about these different core identities, and today we're going to be looking at our identity as sons and daughters. So let's look at this passage in 1 John, and we're going to see it inviting us to do two things. The first thing it invites us to do is joyfully receive the Father's love. Joyfully receive the Father's love. In verse 1, John says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. So the essence of what John is writing to these original listeners and the essence of what he's then saying to us here today is that the Father's love has made us into sons and daughters. Another way of saying that is that the result of the Father lavishing his love on us, the result of the Father pouring out his compassion and his affection and his love on us is that there's been a fundamental change in our status and in our identity. We are children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. Now, I want to sort of poke around for a few minutes at sort of this idea of uh, being born of God or being sons and daughters of God. And to do so, I wanted to sort of call our attention to the reality that there are two ways to become someone's child. One way is through a process called adoption. For some of you, this is a very uh, personal thing. This is an image that is not just sort of beautiful in theory, but you have experienced this in your life. Maybe you have adopted into your own family. Uh, Some of you are in the process right now of adopting into your family. Some of you have been adopted, and it's just a beautiful image. And this is one of the images that the Bible uses to describe our relationship with God. We have been adopted into his family. We've been grafted into his family. 
And adoption means that you don't naturally belong here in this family, and yet through adoption, you are now given all of the rights and all of the status and all the privileges of being a natural-born child. And that's exactly what God has done for us, and that's one of the ways that the Bible talks about our relationship with him, is that we are adopted into his families and we have become sons and daughters. But there's also another way that we can become someone's child, and that is through natural birth. When you are born into someone's family, there is never a moment where you do not possess that inherent status and identity as a son or a daughter of your parents, right? Uh, There is no parent, no good parent anyway, who looks at their child and says, okay, um, I'm going to just give this a little bit of time. And, you know, if, if over the course of time this kid begins to, you know, add to the bottom line of our family, <laughs> if this kid, you know, if I like them, <laughs> if this kid is really talented, then I will really accept them as my own. No, as parents, and those of you who are parents understand this, and even those of you who maybe aren't parents yet, you understand that you were accepted and loved by your parents no matter what you did. And in some ways, even when you were acting badly, that made your parents love you and pursue you even more. So that, that's, that's a part of the beauty of the image of being born into a family is that you inherently and naturally possess all of the rights, all of the status as a child of those parents. So there's some New Testament writers that use this image of adoption and it's a beautiful thing. And John in particular loves to use this image of natural birth to describe our relationship with God. And actually he gets this from Jesus John records in the, his life, you know, his account of Jesus' life and ministry, he records a conversation that's one of the most famous conversations that's ever taken place in the history of the world, where Jesus is having a conversation with a religious leader named Nicodemus. And he says to Nicodemus, if you want to become a member of the kingdom of God, you must be what? You must be born again. Now, a more literal translation of that is you must be born from above. You must be given new life. So just notice that John here, when he's having this conversation, he doesn't say to Nicodemus, you need to be adopted into God's family. He says, you need to be born into God's family. And so Jesus uses that image, and then John carries it through here, and we see just in these verses, numerous times, he uses this. In chapter 2, verse 29, he says, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him, has been born of God. Then he goes on to say in verse 9, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. So this is the image that John loves to use is the image of natural birth. Now there's, there's so many just wonderful nuances of the, the image of adoption. And it is so worth us taking time to just ponder and to think about like what, what does it mean What are all the beautiful sort of aspects of the reality that we've been adopted into God's family? There's so much there that you can sort of ponder and think about. And what John says here, and what I think John understands from the teaching of Jesus, is that we are not just adopted into God's family. We are not only adopted into God's family. What John says here is that through faith in Jesus, we have been reborn as sons and daughters of God. So in other words, we are not like children of God. God does not just treat us as if we were his children. Through faith in Jesus, we are sons and daughters of God. 
That is a fundamental change in our status and a fundamental change in our identity. It is who we are. And John invites us to joyfully receive the Father's love. He invites us to joyfully receive the good news of this new identity that has been given to us, not because of anything we've done, but simply because the Father has desired to lavish his love on us. And so he calls us to see this new identity and to uh, joyfully receive the Father's love that has caused us to become his sons and daughters. So that's the first invitation in this passage. The second invitation that John extends to us is to expectantly await life in his presence. He invites us to joyfully receive the Father's love and to expectantly await life in his presence. Look with me in verse 2 to 3, where John writes, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So just notice the flow of thought that John has here. He says, this is who you are. This is who you are going to be. Therefore, this is how you should live in the meantime. Right? He says, this is who you are. You are children of God. You are sons and daughters of God. This is who you will be. One day you will see him face to face and you will be like him in every way. You will be fully conformed into his image the way that you were designed to be. Therefore, this is how you should live in the meantime. Everyone who has this hope, that is the hope that we will see him and be like him, everyone who has this hope purifies themselves. Now that's an action that we are called to do. We are called to purify ourselves. Now, the language of purification here is language that's taken from the realm of the temple or the tabernacle. You would purify something or someone in order to make them ready to enter into God's presence. And he's saying, this is what we do. We see that there's this future reality that we will one day be fully in his presence. We will be fully like him. Therefore, we live this way. We we purify ourselves. And so what does that even look like for us to, to purify ourselves or to expectantly await life in his presence? Uh, Let's look at a couple different ways. So what it looks like, we await life in his presence by making a clean break from our former way of life. We make a clean break from our former way of life. Verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sin. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Again, just notice the flow of thought here. He says there is no sin in Jesus. In fact, Jesus came to take away our sin. Therefore, no one who lives in Jesus, no one who is alive in him, no one who has been joyfully the recipient of this new identity as sons and daughters, No one who lives in him can continue to sin. Now, clearly what he's he's not saying, when you become a follower of Jesus, you don't sin anymore. You don't do anything wrong. You don't screw up. He's not saying that. We know that he can't mean that because earlier in chapter one, he said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But it kind of looks like a contradiction, doesn't it? He says, if you say you don't have any sin, you're deceiving yourself. 
But here he's saying, if you continue to sin, you're proving that you have never, never seen him or known him. I think what he's saying is this. He is not talking here about a person who is sinless. He's talking about a person who has made a clean break from sin. He's talking about a person who has made a clean break, who's drawn a line in the sand, who said, this is the way that I used to live apart from my relationship with Jesus. And now this is how I choose to live. And yes, there will be times where I go back to my old way of life. There will be times where, where I, I, I give in to certain temptations or to certain things that I shouldn't. There will be those times. But I've made a clean break and I'm choosing now to follow Jesus instead of to follow and to pursue the path that I was on before. So instead of remaining in sin, we remain in Jesus. And so uh, we make a clean break from our former way of life. And of course, sometimes that does look like there are certain life choices that we just have to like stop doing. There are certain behaviors, there are certain actions where you say, okay, as a follower of Jesus, uh, there are certain experiences, there are certain maybe pleasures, there are certain forms of entertainment. I can't go there as a follower of Jesus. And I need to just like turn the spigot off and make a clean break from that kind of behavior. There's maybe ways that you would invest your money or spend your money or invest your time. And you say, you know, as a follower of Jesus, I can't continue to live that way. I have to make a clean break. And sometimes it's a very sort of black and white type thing. In other cases, what it means to make a clean break means that we never give up the fight. Okay, sometimes making a clean break from our former way of life means that we just never give up the fight. Where we say, you know, uh, I came to follow Jesus and he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I want you to actively desire the good of people that you would consider to be your enemies. And so you come to following Jesus with like a whole list of people, right? That you're like, this person really bothers me. These kinds of people really bother me. You would say, you know, if I'm honest, I really do believe that our world or our country would be better without people like this. And we've got this whole list of people. When we come to follow Jesus, we don't just like magically love people the way Jesus loved us, right? Uh, We struggle. And so what it means to follow Jesus and to make a clean break means that we just, we never give up the fight. We never just give into, well, that's just my personality. And you know, those people are just really irritating. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep thinking about them the way I do. No, being a follower of Jesus, making a clean break from your former way of life means that you see what Jesus has instructed us to do and we say, I'm not going to take it sitting down. I'm going to continue to bring my life into alignment with what God has called me to do, even though it's difficult, even though I will fail, even though I uh, will mess it up, I'm going to never give up the fight to make a clean break from my former way of life. So we are called to uh, await life in his presence by making a clean break from that former way of life, making a clean break from sin. But also we expectantly await life in his presence by bearing a family resemblance to our heavenly father. We bear a family resemblance to our heavenly father. Uh, Pretty much all children come out looking the same, right? Uh, Pretty much all children come out looking like a slimy, poofy mess, uh, whether they were born in C-section or born, you know, in a natural way, whatever, uh, it, you know, like they've been through something traumatic. <laughs> so is mom and so is dad. But like all babies kind of come out looking the same. But we all know that, you know, over the course of the next even couple weeks, as they 
uh, as they grow up and as their features begin to sort of take form, you can look at every single child and, and, and you can say, like, you can point out the physical features that they inherited from their parents, right? You can look at mom and dad and then you can look at the child and, and it's true of different stages of their life, even into adulthood, where you can say, oh, he's got his dad's ears, She's got her mom's nose or her mom's chin. You know, you can point out the facial features and you can point out the body features that a child has because we inherit some of that, right? Uh, From a very young age, our two children were able to identify Chloe has mama's blue eyes and Kenna has papa's brown eyes. From a very young age, they can notice the ways that like, yeah, you bear a family resemblance because you share half of my genetics for better or for worse, (laughs) right? And that's the same exact thing uh, that's true of every single child. But we all know that bearing a family resemblance is not limited just to those physical genetic features, right? There's things like personality. There's things like mannerisms. There's things like sense of humor and just kind of the way that you view the world and the way that you think about things and the way that you interact with people. All of that is formed into you because you have year after year after year after year of learning how to do life from your parents. And so while some of that stuff may be just kind of built into the cake, right? Like your personality is, you know, sort of in some ways set from birth. There's so much that you learn from your parents and you bear a family resemblance Not only genetically, you bear a family resemblance because you have years worth of shared experience together and because you've learned how to do life from your parents. So the point is that all children bear some family resemblance to their parents, right? And maybe more so on the physical feature side of thing and maybe more on the other side of thing, but every single child bears family resemblance to their parents, And what John is saying here is the exact same thing about us as children of God. What John is communicating to us is that if we are children of God, we will bear a family resemblance to our Heavenly Father. Right? We will. If we are His children, we will bear a family resemblance. We see this in verse 10 where he says, This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. He says, you want to know who your true father is? Look at your behavior. He says, anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. So clearly, the the bearing of a family resemblance with God is not like a genetic, physical features thing. It's character, and it's actions, and it's behavior, and it's our motives, and it's all of that sort of wrapped up. Right? We bear a family resemblance to our Heavenly Father if indeed we are his children. That's the point that John is making. If you are a child of God, you will bear a family resemblance to your Heavenly Father. Now, there's a lot in this passage about our behavior and about our actions. Right? There's a whole bunch in here that's like, okay, you got to make a clean break. You need to stop sinning. And then there's all the stuff about, like, you need to bear a family resemblance to your Heavenly Father. And the danger for us is that we would blow past verse 1. The danger is that we would blow past these words where John says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. 
the danger is that we would blow past those words, that we would just assume those things to be true, that we would lose sight of those things. And when we do, everything else he says in this passage gets all jumbled up and gets sort of uh, disjointed and goes out of order, right? In verse one, what John says here is that our status as sons and daughters of God was given to us as a gift. Had nothing to do with your performance, had nothing to do with your sort of spiritual or moral accomplishments. It had nothing to do with your family of origin. It had nothing to do with your education or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. You have been given a new identity and a new status as a son or daughter of God simply because God chose to love you. There's something that every single one of us in this room have in common. Everyone who's sitting here, everyone who's watching online, everyone who will ever hear this message however long in the future it is, we all have this thing in common. We were all born to someone. Every single one of us got born and no one consulted us beforehand. Am I right? No one ever consulted you and said, hey, you want to be born? Being born is something that happens to you, not something that you do or really participate in, in an active way. (laughs) You're just passively there for the process, right? (laughs) When you are born, it's something that happens to you, not something that you do. And the same exact thing is true of what John is saying here, is that you have been born of God. The status and the identity that he's given you as sons and daughters has nothing to do with your achievements or your accomplishments. It has everything to do with the Father simply lavishing his love on you. And this is so important that we understand and that we sort of get the order of this, right? We have to see and understand God has made us alive. God has given us this new status and this new identity. And as a result of that, we make a clean break from our former way of life. As a result of that, we seek to resemble our Heavenly Father. So in other words, all the things that we do as far as rejecting our old way of life and choosing a new path, all the things we do as far as trying so hard and putting an effort to bear a family resemblance to our Heavenly Father, all of those things we do are a joyful response to what God has already done for us. And that changes absolutely everything. We are not sons and daughters of God because we do these things. We do these things because we are sons and daughters of God. The order of that makes so, it's so important that we see that. What John says here is that God has given us this status. He's given us this identity as sons and daughters of God. And as a result, yes, there's, there's things that we do. We labor and we fight to bring every aspect of our life into alignment with what we know to be true about who God has declared us to be. So yes, there's actions. Yes, there's a part that we play in that, but the part we play is secondary to the part that God has already done. He's already made us his sons and daughters, and so as a joyful response to what God has done, we now give every moment of our life to trying to uh, bear that family resemblance. We see the picture of what John has laid out here for us. We see him saying, one day you will be in his presence and you will be like him. You will see him face to face and you will love him with an unsinning heart. And even as we've already sung this morning, we will be in his presence dressed in his righteousness alone, not in any of the the things that we've done. All of the 
corruption, all of the sin, all of the idolatry, all of the brokenness that exists inside of us, whether actions or attitudes or motives or thoughts or intentions, all of that will be burned away when we finally see him face to face and we are in his presence and we will be like him. We will finally bear the image of Christ the way we were designed to and yet none of us have. And so he points us to that day and says, that day is coming. And the response is, well, why wouldn't we want to experience some of that now? If we know that's where we're headed, why wouldn't we spend the rest of our lives seeking to purify ourselves, awaiting the day when we get to be in his presence? And so all of the stuff about like, we should make a break from our former way of life, we should bear a family resemblance, all of the stuff we do is not like a religious, we grit our teeth and we just like try really hard to do it even though we don't want to. We see who Jesus is, we see what God has done for us, and our hearts desire to be like him, to be in his presence, and to say, why would I let those things that steal my joy from being in Jesus, why would I continue to do those things? Why would I continue to live in a way of life that robs me of where my joy is found? Why would I choose to have a way of life where the things that steal my attention and the things that steal my affection for Jesus win out. Why would I choose to live that way? And so the response is, we work really hard (laughs) to purify ourselves because we know that day is coming and yet we don't do it as just a bunch of religious activity, just a bunch of us trying hard to be good enough for God. We do so because of what God has already done for us in the person of Jesus. And so one of the main applications for us today, as we come to the communion table, one of those main applications is very, very simple. It is believe the good news. (laughs) Believe the good news about what God has done for you in Jesus and the identity that you now have as a son or daughter of God. What John tells us is that the Father has lavished his love on us and we are now sons and daughters of God. And so the application this morning, one of them is to simply believe the good news. God has made us his sons and daughters and he has done it by giving us his son. Jesus, who was God's son, took on human flesh and he accompanied us in our humanity. He suffered and he died. He was cast out so that we could be brought back into the family of God. He was cast out, and that was the very means by which God gave us new life and gave us, uh, caused us to be born again. And so that's what we get to remember and celebrate as we come to the communion table today, is that God, in the person of Jesus, has made us his sons and daughters. And as we come and as we receive the broken body and shed blood of Jesus that are represented in the elements, We get to be remembered of that good news that we are sons and daughters of God because Jesus gave up his life in place of ours. That's the good news. And so my encouragement for you this morning is believe the good news. If you are in Jesus, you are a son or daughter of God. As we come to the communion table this morning, as we do each week, I want to leave just a little bit of space for you to have some quiet reflection or confession 
Maybe there's something that you heard today that you want to maybe think about a little bit more. Maybe there's some business you need to do with God, some things you need to confess or some things you need to bring before him. So I'm just going to leave a few minutes uh, for you to have some quiet time of confession and reflection, and then we will come receive Christ at the table.